Bless the Lord. First John chapter 2, starting to read at verse 12, says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. And I write unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Amen. The first epistle or letter is the word that we would use. The first epistle of John begins with a reminder that John was amongst those who saw Jesus with his own eyes who touched him, who heard him speak the words of life. And while we are not able to 100% verify it, it is generally considered from tradition that out of the original 12 apostles, John is the one that lived longest out of all of them. He appears to possibly have lived till very late in the first century, and his epistles were written somewhere late in the first century as far as we're able to tell. It would have been handy when they wrote the epistles, if they put the date in the top, like we were told to when we went to school, that, that might have been helpful, but they didn't teach that back then, obviously. But at the beginning of chapter 2, John refers to all the believers as little children. It's, it's not addressed to people that are actually physically children, but rather it is a term of endearment. It is an expression of the apostles' love for the church of God rather than them actually being children. If you take the time, just for a little bit of context, and read it when you're at home, the latter part of chapter 1 and the first portion of chapter 2, there are several points that are emphasized by John. One of those is that God is light and that we are to walk in that light with Him. Another Another point that is emphasized is that we should always be honest about our sinfulness. If we have sinned, we need to make that right with God as soon as possible and not be deceived by our own minds. It also lets us know that it is through the keeping of His Word, or in other words, obeying Him, that we are able to walk in the light. And that if we say that we love Him and we don't keep His Word, John said we're liars. That's pretty straight. And then John makes a very strong connection between our walking in the light of God and whether or not we love our brothers and sisters. In fact, he goes as far as to say that if we say we are in the light, but we hate our brother, then we're actually in darkness. You know, we worry so much sometimes about saying things just the right way. I like it when Scripture just says it how it is. Amen. In fact, the overall tone of this epistle, this letter, is that we should keep ourselves from sin and that we should love our brothers and sisters in the Lord. They are the possibly the overarching themes. Like all of the Scripture, there's so many more treasures that we can dig out, but they are two of the overarching themes of this epistle. And John lets us know that if you want to be faithful, if you want to be an overcomer and be ready when Jesus returns, those two points, walking in the light and loving our brothers and sisters, will go a long way to seeing you make it to the end, that we would live a righteous life and love one another. And then we come to our text in 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, where there is a, a repetition. What he says is repeated. It's almost like it's a, a typo. You know, when you're, you're working on the computer and you accidentally, maybe it's just me, say, repeat the same line again. And you go back and read it. It's like, oh, why did I say that twice? But 
There are no typos in the scripture. And so when we see repetition, we need to pay attention. It's not that it's more important than any other part of the word of God, but there's an emphasis for a reason. And that repetition, there are, there are different opinions exactly about what's being communicated in these three verses. But it seems to me that the three groups that John is addressing are reflecting or representing the different stage of our walk with God. The different stages, just like we have natural stages of life, there are spiritual stages of our walk with God. He speaks to the little children, begins to separate the group a little bit, and he says, the little children we can understand are those who are young in their walk with God, those who have not known the Lord for very long, but have just begun to walk with him and been born again of water and spirit, and we are so thankful for everybody that makes that decision. Amen. Then he talks to the fathers, and that's those that's not, again, it's not necessarily talking about people that have children or males particularly, but it's talking about those who've been around for a minute, those who are established in truth, those who we would use language such as we would describe them as the pillars in the church. And then John speaks to the young men. This is the perhaps the in-between group, those who have grown beyond being little children, and now there is a strength that they have and they are active and, and operating in the power of the Spirit of God and, and in the kingdom of God. And, and just to be clear again, the focus is on the stage. This, this is not gender-specific language, but this includes so you ladies can't just tap out and zone off and think about lunch or whatever's happening after church. This is for all of us. Amen. And so John speaks, first of all, to the little children, to those who are in the infancy of their relationship with Jesus. Their born-again experience is still fresh. It's recent. And many of us can testify of, of our memory of being filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time, of how we felt when we were filled with His Spirit and spoke in other tongues as His Spirit enabled us to for the first time. What a wonderful experience that is and that was. And John writes to these that he calls the little children. And in verse 12, he says to them, Your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And then in verse 13, he says, and you have known the Father. And so while it may be only early days, while they may have only recently heard the Gospels, he wants to remind them and to help them to understand that their sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus, for his name's sake. As apostolics, we understand why that name is so important. We understand the power that is in that name. It is not a portion of God, but it is the revealed saving name of God himself. In fact, at the very, very end of his earthly ministry, just prior to his ascension in Luke chapter 24 and 47, Jesus said that repentance and the remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is, this is after Calvary. This is after the tomb. This is after the resurrection. And Jesus is saying, now that that's taken care of, now that I have fulfilled that part of my purpose of why I was manifest in the flesh, he said, you have a message to preach. There is something that I'm trusting to put in your hands to take to this world. He said, you need to tell people that if they will repent, if they will turn from their sins, that there is remission, or we would more commonly use the word forgiveness for those sins, by the power, by the authority that is in the name of Jesus. Jesus is saying it's going to be in my name that you are to preach that gospel message. Amen. And in Acts chapter 3, John, 
who wrote the epistle that we were spending our time in this morning, the Bible tells us John had gone to the temple with Peter at the hour of prayer and coming upon a lame man who was looking for some compassion, looking for some charity, looking for a few coins just to help him to survive and get from day to day in a fairly meager existence. John, Peter and John stop and the blind man's hopes, oh, they're going to take out their wallets or their, their money bag, whatever they were carrying and and Peter says, look at us. And he looks at them and Peter says, I got no money. And the, the expectation plummets. But then Peter says, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. The Bible says that Peter took his right hand and lifted him up and instantly he was healed. And as you can appreciate, the lame man began to celebrate. He began to get excited. He didn't just put his hands together and say, I appreciate you, God. He began to walk. He began to run. He began to leap and he began to worship the Lord. And he went into the temple with Peter and John for the very first time. His, his lameness had excluded him from the house of God. But the power of the name of Jesus gave him access and wholeness. I want to tell somebody this morning, it does not matter what your brokenness is, physical, mental, spiritual, God can make you whole. Amen. And this excitement in the temple, the the noise and the crowd that gathered around, Peter began to tell them about Jesus and what had happened and how it had happened and, and the power of Jesus' name. And you get into Acts chapter 4 and the religious rulers arrest them and they bring them to interrogate them. They're like, you know, what's going on? What's all this fuss? And the exact words they use when they speak to Peter and John are, by what power or what name have you done this? And Peter does the same thing he was just doing back in the temple. He begins begins to tell them about Jesus. And they, those, those Pharisees get a bit uncomfortable because they were there when they said, crucify him. And they start getting a bit awkward. And then Acts chapter 4 verse 12, which you've never memorized, I would encourage you to memorize. Peter says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. A few years later, the apostle Paul would write to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, and say, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. When we hear these philosophies about God knows my heart, don't be deceived. The scripture says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And then in a very loving fashion, Pastor Paul says, and such were some of you. But the verse doesn't stop there. He says, but you've been washed. You've been sanctified. That means you've been set aside for Jesus. You've been justified. That means it's just as if you never sinned. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What did John say? He said, little children, you've been forgiven for his namesake. But then he said, but you've also known the Father. Amen. This is not two different people. This is the same God. Because Jesus, back in Luke 24, he said that repentance 
and remission of sins will be preached in his name in 24 and 49. He said, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry or wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. A little later on, the Apostle Paul would write to the Romans in 8 and 15 and say, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You're not bound by a list of men's laws or by the sin that used to shackle you, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Same Apostle in Galatians 4 and 6 says, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. And I know many of you understand it, but the word Abba is the Greek word for father. So it's like there's a stutter in the verse. They've said father, father. But what that word Abba is a term of intimacy. Like a small child would communicate with their father when they run to their father's arms. If you had been there at the airport when Sister Cherry and Matthias came home and he got to see his dad again after a number of weeks, that's what Abba is. It's father. It's papa almost if you want to speak some Spanish or one of those Latin languages. Amen. So John is saying, little children, you've had your sins washed away in Jesus' name, but you've also been filled with the Holy Ghost and it cries out from within you to your heavenly Father. You know him, is what John is saying. And then John addressed the fathers. Now, I can't tell you why he went little children, fathers and young men. I'll work that out another day, hopefully. I was looking for an image. I couldn't find one in that order, so I apologize that it's not in the right order. That was pointed out to me, but I didn't know how to move the men around. So John wrote to the fathers, and when he wrote to the fathers, he repeated the exact same statement in both verses 13 and 14. He said to the fathers, you have known him that is from the beginning. He said, you folks... You've got some miles on your clock. He said, you came to know Jesus a while ago and you've seen his faithfulness over the journey. The valleys that you've walked through have sent your roots down deep into the soil. Like the little children, you've also been privileged to have your sins washed away in Jesus' name, to be filled with the Holy Ghost, but you now have an understanding that comes with time. God wants to reveal himself to us. Not extra biblical crazy stuff, but as we begin to walk with him, he begins to tell us more about himself and reveal his identity from the word of God. And John is saying to the fathers, because you've been around a while, you know him who's been from the beginning. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And 14 verses later, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John is saying to these fathers, you've grown in the word of God. You've come to understand who Jesus really is, the one true God manifests in the flesh. But John, is there's also an unspoken encouragement in John's writing where he says, like the Apostle Paul said, even after all these years, there still needs to be a desire. Philippians 3 and 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Paul knew more about Jesus. Paul's forgotten more about Jesus than I'll probably ever know. But Paul still had a desire in him. He was still pressing. He was still reaching. Young people, if you're at that youth camp, Brother Wilmot spoke about getting into higher altitude. Paul was reaching for the Lord still. And John is saying, you you fathers, you've been around a while, you've got some good foundation, but don't forget 
Don't forget, when you walk with God through the seasons of life, there should be a continuing revelation of both identity and relationship. We should, should come to understand who He is more, but we should also be able to draw closer to Him. And as a byproduct of that ongoing relationship, we ought to produce a desire to help those that come behind to know Jesus like you do. As Peter said, such as I have, give I thee. In the natural world, culture is preserved and passed from generation to generation. And I know that some, some cultures have more written history than others, but mo- the most common way when it's passed from generation to generation is through oral transition. It's through the practice of storytelling. Stories are told, stories are shared, things are reestablished. And you and I are so very blessed to have the Word of God in our hands, but we still need oral tradition. We don't just pass Bibles out and say, here, go read this, work it out for yourself. We still need to preach the Word of God. We still need to live the Word of God. People need to see it, and they say, why do you live? We need to be able to pass that on. The psalmist spoke about not finishing, I don't remember the exact wording, but he basically said, I'm not quitting until I've said it to the next generation, until I've passed it on. Fathers, elders, people that have been around a while, that's your job. It's your job to keep telling the stories, the witness, the testimony, the faith of those who have walked before us. Amen. Fathers, John said, you've known him who is from the beginning. And if I can borrow a secular expression, don't die with the music in you. Tell the stories. Tell what God has done. Let people know that what this book says is real and that it's alive and that it's powerful. And then the Apostle John addresses those that he refers to as the young men. This is what he says about them. Verse 13, he says, you have overcome the wicked one. And then in verse 14, he says, you are strong. The word of God abides or lives in you. And then he repeats the fact that they have overcome the wicked one. This group of believers are no longer little children. They've grown. They've been through some battles and they've overcome. But it's very important. I know we say this a lot here and we will as long as I can breathe. That John directly connects their overcoming to the word of God being alive in them. He says you you are strong. You've overcome And God's Word dwells in you. Amen. If you're going to be an overcomer, you've got to have the Word of God. And I don't want to be offensive, but we live in an age where too many churches are blessing heavy and Bible light. It's all about how God can bless me and not really paying much attention to what He has to say about who I should be. And in this environment, there are these generalized, blurry concepts about Jesus and people who are biblically malnourished. 1 John, same chapter, 1 John chapter 2, but early on, verses 3 to 5. John said, Hereby do we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He that says, I know Him, doesn't keep His commandments, is a liar. So you can be a liar if you don't keep His commandments. You can be a liar if you say you're in the light and hate your brother. Not interested in being a liar this morning. Verse 5 says, But whoso keeps His word, In Him truly is the love of God perfected or completed. In Him, when I do what this book says, God can do what He wants to do in me and through me. He can. He said, you know, the Old Testament said, I know the plans that I have for you. How do those plans come to pass in your life? When you do what the book says. When you obey the Word of God, God can perfect 
his love. And then he said, it's hereby that we know that we are in him. First John 4 and 4, this is a verse that many of us know, particularly the second part. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you and he that is in the world. You know, we love to quote that verse. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We love that verse. But how do we know that we are of God? And John said, you are of God. How do you know? You keep his commandments. That's what the Bible says. Young men, you've overcome the enemy. Isaiah 54 and 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. I want you to understand something this morning. God intends for you to be victorious. God intends for you to overcome. God did not start a good work in you so you could stumble and fall and rewind the tape again and again. Yes, you'll have struggles. Yes, you've got to push through sometimes. But God intends for us to be victorious. We are saved to make it, not to fail. I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm not talking about material things. That's a complete misunderstanding of the Scripture. But success in the kingdom of God is measured by when that trumpet sounds and we are instantaneously able to defy gravity and in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we go to be with him. That is success. That is how we measure success. And he paid the price for you to succeed, not to fail. And if you're persuaded that you cannot, that is a lie. And we know where lies come from. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, well-known portion, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The context of Ephesians 6 is that we don't fight natural battles. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we're in a spiritual conflict. Amen. And we often preach about how when we look at each of the pieces of armor, the only offensive component, the only one we have with which we can attack the enemy is the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. Amen. We preach that. But... I want you to stop and consider for a moment the other pieces. Every single piece of armor is connected to the Word of God. Every single piece, not just the sword. Sometimes we think it's just the sword, but we're supposed to have our our loins girt about with truth. What are we reproducing? It's got to come from truth. Where does truth come from? Thy word is truth, the Bible says. Having the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is simply doing that which is right. Where do you learn to do that? The Word of God. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Where do we get the gospel from? Take the shield of faith. Where does faith come from? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Every piece of armor goes back to the book. The helmet of salvation. How are you going to find out how to be saved? Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. Amen. We need to remember how important it is. John wrote to the young men 
And he said, you're strong. He said, you've overcome the wicked one. Why? Because the word of God is alive in you. That's what he said. If you feel like you're weak spiritually, get back in the book. Get back in the book. Get back into the word of God. Begin to hunger and thirst for what God will do and the power that is available to us. Amen. So John, John has these encouragements for the little children, for the fathers and for the young men. And then if you'll allow me, I believe he brings the group back together and he adds a caution. First John chapter 2 and verse 15. He said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides or lives forever. The warning here is not about the physical world, about we should go and build a bunker and live in the mountains somewhere. That's, that's not what this verse is about. But the warning is about the philosophies of the world. It's about the way that the world thinks. It's about the things that the world does and the things that it approves and disapproves. Because we have to remember that Romans tells us that the carnal mind, or the mind that does not have God in it, that is not regenerated by the Word of God, the carnal mind is enmity with God. That word enmity is strong opposition, even a hatred. So what that means is the philosophies that are out there, the, the guiding principles the things that people are saying, this is okay, this is fine, this is approved, you can do this, you can do that, everything's fine. All of that, when it does not include God, is in opposition to God. So John is saying, don't fall in love with that stuff. Don't be attracted by all the shiny things that are out there, all the material things, and the pride of life. In other words, what I want matters more. I'm going to get some. What I want matters more. He said, all of those things, they will lead you down a path where you will love the world and the love of the Father is not in you. When you fall in love with this world, the love of God begins to shrivel and die in your spirit. That's what begins to happen. So much, almost all of what is going on around us is completely and totally contrary to God's word and his will. And if we begin to get drawn toward that thinking, that, that's why, I know this is a broken record, but that's why we've got to be in the house of God. You are saturated in that environment. Daily, on the job, in your school, wherever, unless you live in one of those bunkers in the mountains, you are saturated with the world. And just a quick drive through a high five in the house of God's not going to cut it. <laughs> we've got to take this book and counter-saturate ourselves with the Word of God. That's the, if, if He's greater in us, that means there's, there's a strength in us that has more pressure to push back. Jesus ate with sinners, touched lepers, raised the dead, mixed with the unpopular and the unwelcome of society, and they did not change Him even a millimeter because of what was in Him. So when we go out there, there needs to be enough of Him in us that we change the world, that it does not change us. And if you love the world, it will change you. You will not change it. Because it's all going to pass away. And if we do the will of God, there is eternal life for us. John is saying, little children, don't let the distraction of this world 
Going back to our three groups again, little children, don't let the distraction of this world choke out that new love for Jesus that comes with being born again. Fathers, you've been faithful for a very long time. Now is not the time to compromise. Now is not the time to seek a place of comfortable lukewarmness. But it is time to stir up that I may know him. Stir it up again. Young men, stay in the fight. Keep the sword sharp. Keep the armor secure. Keep overcoming. And then late in the chapter, 1 John 2 and verse 28, if I could have a musician, please. This is what John said. And now, little children. It's the church again. It's the beloved of Christ. And now, little children, abide in him. Stay in him. Why? That when he shall appear, we may have this confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Be faithful. Hold your course. Jesus is coming back. And by his grace, we're going to stand before him. That blows my mind to think that you can stand before God with confidence and not be ashamed. And it does not matter this morning where you find yourself in that journey if you're a little child, father, or a young man. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, John wrote to all of us and said, you can make it. You can make it. He said, let the word of God live in you. He said, stay in the light. Love your brothers and sisters. Stand with me if you would this morning. Let's just lift our hands to him. Let's just allow the spirit of the Lord to move on us. Let his word marinate in our hearts for a moment. I don't know if you're discouraged in this house today. If you're feeling overwhelmed. But it does not matter where you're at. John said, you can make it. You can stand before him when he comes. Confident. Boldness. And not be ashamed. But you won't do it in the arm of your own flesh. You'll only do it through the power of the Holy Ghost. And having the word of God alive. And powerful in you. If you need to be reminded of that today. If you feel like I need to get back in line with God. This altar is open this morning. If you want to find a place to pray. And say Lord I'm not even sure if I'm a little child. A young man or a father. But Lord I want to hang on. I'm going to make it, Jesus. I'm going to make it, Lord. Hallelujah. Not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. I'm going to overcome, Lord, not by my own strength, but because I've got your word alive in me. I've got that word alive in me. Help us to stir it up. God, give us a hunger for more of you. Give us a desire for higher altitude, Lord. Lord, give us a thirst for righteousness today, I pray. In the name of Jesus, help us to be committed to walk in the light, to love our brothers and our sisters, God, to be overcomers. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've